And where is Trapo? Okay. Okay. Don't download anything. So actually, this is not a good idea. I need. Sorry, I'm a. I like to have this part nice. Sure. So that we get a good One shot. More perfection. And do we yeah, want the air exactly at eight my time? Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? Did you hear me? Do we go on the air exactly at eight o'clock my time in one minute? Yeah, we can. Uh, we actually on air. Uh, yeah, it's it's flexible. Just whenever we want to start. We're already on the air. Yes, yes. I got it. Okay, uh -huh. good. Okay. So I think this is a good setup for me. Um, I'm going to be back in just a second, and we'll start up. Great. Yes, of course. It's it's recorded, yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Record that Skype chat. No, you, I can't, don't... you can't record it. You can on Skype. Yeah, not Skype for business. Know. Yeah, we, but not we this. haven't been. Uh, Maybe we can ask uh, to record a few a few minutes. Because I think uh, he's expecting it to be recorded. Do you want to put the camera here? Yeah, maybe we can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he says on the year, he's yeah. thinking that we are showing this to other people as well at the same yeah. time. Not just us. I think so. We can start recording. Okay, oh, great. You can record. I always thought you can. I, don't, I never use Skype. Mm. Yeah, if we can record, we don't need this camera now. I don't. Um, well, we I might need both. I mean, just yeah. just in case, yeah. So well, in theory, if we record this. We might as well record ourselves here. Oh yeah. It's recording. Let's do that. It's recording. No. Um, I'm not sure. It is now. It should be. Okay, is it? Where's the red line? Oh, yeah, stro yeah, it is. Cool. The red line you see in the corner and the timer, you see? Stop recording. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. 20 seconds, 30. Cool. But we still oh, yeah. need the full Stop screen. Left. Who is there? <laughs> Animal. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's done. Then let let uh, Matija record us then. What do you think? Us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It's mine. I think Zdravko slept because he's not picking a call. Mm, maybe it's good him? for him. No, oh, I think it's mm. fine. Okay. So making go knock on his door. But uh, he has a nice question. Do you remember his question about the yeah, nightmare? That's about the yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah, the code. Uh, okay. Okay. Great. How are you? <clears throat> I am terrific. I'm just gonna put a clock here, so I'll have a general idea of what time it is, and uh, it's great to see all you beautiful people in front of me. And uh, I am going to get to do the thing I most like to do, which is uh, talk to people about mindfulness. So just whatever questions you want, feel free. Great.
yeah, we're wondering first of all how your how you usually start your morning and uh, what uh, maybe morning routine you have in terms of uh, allowing your th yourself to go through the stress or stressful day without actually being involved in that. Do you have any special technique or practice that helps you with that? Well, what uh, I do is um, something that I call the Asia algorithm. That's an acronym, A-S-I-A. -A. Mm -hmm. uh, so is this going to be interpreted uh, from English into Slovene? <laughs> or are we, are we going in, in English? English. Uh, in English everything only. English. In English. Yeah. Everything in English. Okay, great. I didn't realize that was the concept. When I broadcast to Russia, we translate uh, everything. Uh, do you know Viktor Shiryaev? Yes, yeah, yes, we know him. Yeah, so when I, when I do programs with Viktor, um, it takes a long time <laughs> because he translates. But you're saying we're going to go in English then. Um, good. Uh, that will give me more time. But also, uh, I'm going to um, try to speak slowly and in small sentences. So there is a procedure that you can use to make sure that your day is mindful. <clears throat> Now, I'm going to define mindful as being a kind of awareness when you are concentrated, sensorially clear, and you have equanimity, then we'll say that you're having an experience mindfully. So concentration power is the ability to focus on what you want to. Sensory clarity is the ability to keep track of what's going on, what's on the inside, what's on the outside, what's visual, what's auditory, what's body. Keeping track, inner, outer, activation, rest states related to see, hear, feel. If we put smell and taste under body, that's sort of our whole sensory uh, experience. So the ability to know what you're experiencing with clarity, that's an important awareness skill. So concentration power, the ability to focus on what you want to focus on. Sensory clarity, the ability to untangle the strands of experience, what's visual, what's auditory, what's somatic, what's inner, what's outer, and so forth. And then there's a quality that I call equanimity, which is the ability let the senses operate without self-interference. So as equanimity goes up, inner friction goes down. Or another way to put it is equanimity is the inverse of 
self-conflict. So um, when you bring those three skills simultaneously to a, a given sensory experience, then we say you're being mindful. So there is a way to structure mindfulness during the day. So you ask me, what can I do or what can any other person do to make sure I'll be mindful today? So the first thing is try to, as soon as you wake up, strategize about, uh, or I'm sorry, analyze the day to come into situations. For example, today, my first situation was take a shower. My second situation was answer some emails. My third situation was um, do this program. My After this, I have to go to the bank. Um, after that, I have to go to my lab where we're doing research at the university. So this is a seek. I'm sort of analyzing the day into situations. And then the next step is, and this is as soon as Why is looking as muted? We don't hear you. Oh, we don't hear you. Do Maybe you hear? Stop, stop recording. Maybe it will Just help. when uh, when our connection got broken, you can uh, yeah, pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you sleep? Did you sleep well? Excellent. <laughs> So let's call him back. Just <coughs> It's like at that moment when you know you're going to say something interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, then, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's like this. Surprise. <laughs> Who's using the internet? I'm not using it. I switched off. There. Did we lose the signal? Uh, yes, we, I hear you okay now. Okay, uh, we don't see you yet. Um, yes, is I your... can arrange for you to see me, I think. Great. But that might use up some bandwidth. Okay. okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, yes. 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 Okay, well, I guess problem you'll call me back. Oh, um... And it, yeah, uh, sorry. If go you ahead. Lose my, if you lose my audit audio, then I suggest we go to vi uh, we turn off the video, mm -hmm. so that it may be a bandwidth issue here. Um, but it sounds like we're okay now, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's no, it's not about the recording. Do you think it's uh, recording? No. no, it's not recording. It's the bandit. And maybe it's in his place what he said. Stop we don't hear you. No. Stop our video. No. 
for Wi-Fi. Hmm? No, stop our video. Here, the worst place for Wi-Fi. Click on the camera. Mother on the opposite side of this building. All right, let's see. But uh, do you f do you see that our Wi-Fi connection is strong on your laptop? Uh, Mike? Um, it's strong Maybe enough. we can try from the phone or how? Yeah, I think that's going to be the... What do you mean from the phone? Call from the phone. But then can we record on the phone? Okay. I have my camera off. Can you hear me okay? Yes. So let's try audio for now. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry about that. Not sure what the problem is. Um, are you having an okay signal on your end? Uh, we yes. think so. Huh. Well, mine shows okay also. So let's try it this way, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Great. Um, so. I began by defining mindful awareness, three skills working together, concentration, clarity, equanimity. Now, um, the way you develop these skills is by doing mindful awareness techniques. For example, um, Ivana, you were at the retreat and you learned... Um, see, hear, feel, and a bunch of other techniques. Um, each of those techniques, in general, uh, will develop concentration, clarity, and equanimity. So if you do an exercise, physical exercise, you'll find that your strength, endurance, and um, flexibility increase. The result of exercise changes the fabric of body. Well, the result of the result of physical exercise changes the fabric of the physical body. And the result of mindfulness or we could call it meditation exercise is that it increases the strength of attention and just as a body health has these three aspects, strength, endurance, flexibility, attentional health has three aspects. You're strong in terms of your mind power if you have concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. Equanimity you don't, means you don't waste energy fighting with yourself. Concentration means you can focus on what you want to focus on. And clarity means you're not overwhelmed if too much is going on all at once because you've trained yourself to track what part is see, what part is hear, what part is feel, and so forth. So to develop these basic mindfulness skills, you need to do mindfulness techniques. But a mindfulness technique has another side to it. It can also serve as a strategy 
in a certain life situation, I can apply this technique while I'm in that situation, and it can help me deal with that situation in one way or another. So each mindfulness technique has two mechanisms whereby it helps with happiness. On one hand, every technique develops concentration, clarity, equanimity. So it elevates your base level of mind strength or attention strength. On the other hand, the different techniques have you focus on different things and focus in different ways. And those focusing on different things and in different ways serves as a strategy for dealing with life situations. So in order to understand how to be mindful during the day, you have to first understand what mindfulness is. We explained that. And you also understand how mindfulness is developed. Well, you do techniques that increase your base level of concentration, clarity, equanimity. But any of those techniques can also be looked upon as a strategy to deal with a life situation. So at the beginning of the day, to, now I'm getting back to your original question. The original question is, what do I do in the morning to assure a mindful day? Well, I do what anyone can do. Um, first, I analyze the day to come in terms of situations. Some situations last a long time, some are a short time. Some are complicated, some are simple, some are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some are a mixture of both, some are neutral. So I look at all the situations that will happen from this moment when I opened my eyes to the moment when I close my eyes tonight to go to sleep. Among those situations, I decide in which situations am I going to do intentional mindfulness technique. It's, for most people, not reasonable to keep a, a mindfulness technique intentionally going all day. Um, but in some of life situations, you should do an intentional technique, at least a little bit, each day. So I decide where I'm going to put intentional techniques. Usually that means at least 10 minutes in the morning early when I just do pure formal practice of some sort. So that's my formal practice situation. Then there'll be other situations in the day. For example, in order, what comes right now, I'm giving a presentation. 
Um, I'm not implementing an intentional technique during this presentation. I'm just giving the presentation. But when I'm done, I'm going to walk to the bank. That walk will take me a half hour. I'm going to do an intentional meditation technique during that walk. After that, I'm going to uh, ride to the lab. During that bus ride to the lab, I'm also going to do an intentional technique. When I arrive at the lab, I'm going to be talking to other colleagues in our group. I'm going to do micro hits of uh, feel good, which is like focusing on the pleasant emotion of being with those people. Um, when I'm done with the lab meeting, I'm coming back here and I'm doing some research. I won't be doing an intentional technique at that time. So you can see what I'm doing. I'm analyzing the day into situations. Then I decide in which situations I'm going to intentionally meditate. Usually it's simple situations like taking a walk or enjoying being friendly with other people. Um, let me ask you, has my signal been okay? Yes, yes, we hear everything very well. So do you want to take a chance and go to audio, uh, to video, or yes. just keep with what we've got? Let's try an... Uh... Okay, we turned on our, our video. Can you... Okay, and if you lose me... Yeah. Yep. If you lose me, then we'll just have to go back. To, you'll recall, mm -hmm. and we'll go back to mm -hmm. audio only. So you analyze the day in terms of situations. Then you strategize in which situation are you going to do intentional practice and what technique. And the technique will often be a strategy that's good for that situation. For example, when I'm with coworkers and we're talking, we're going to have lunch, we're going to discuss things, it makes sense that I would be radiating loving kindness to everyone mm -hmm. in the background as an intentional technique. When I do a walk, it's, everything is very simple. So usually I'm doing, um, I'm focusing on expansion and contraction as my technique, which is actually a very deep and demanding technique um, relating to flow of a certain sort. Um, usually I'm focusing on that in the simple situation of doing walking. And so then at the end of the day, uh, so you strategize, and then still at the beginning of the day, you sort of motivate yourself. Here's why you remember why it's important, at least occasionally during the day, while I'm moving, while I'm doing something that's an action of life, I've also got some intentional practice that I'm in bringing into my ordinary life. So I motivate myself, and that's inspire, A-S-I, I for inspire. And then at the end of the day, the final A of A-S-I-A, or Asia, is I assess what did I follow through on 
in terms of strategies, which one did, which ones did I actually do? What was the effect? What can I do better tomorrow? Or how do I want to build on this tomorrow, etc.? That's how you can end the day just as you're going to sleep. If each day you go through the procedure upon waking, analyze the day, then, I'm sorry, uh, analyze the day, then strategize what techniques in what mode of practice, formal, informal, what's the focus range, what's the instruction set, these are the dimensions that determine a technique. So what technique, in which situation, and then like, here's why I want to do that, here's what I learned yesterday, here's what I hope to learn today inspire and then at the end of the day look back assess and then you're set to build for the next day those four steps if a person does them every day that will guarantee that they have a component of practice that I call life practice if they also do occasional retreats then they have the pillar called retreat practice and if you have those two pillars, plus you're able to get support and understand about giving support, then you have a, all of the four pillars of mindfulness practice. And you are, it will be highly likely that you will be not 10% happier, but by the end of your life, 10 times happier than you could have been otherwise. So long answer to a short question. Mm. <laughs> Amazing answer. I think that's uh, that's a life strategy to actually how to really improve the the life happiness in the long run. So yeah, I'm I'm impressed actually. Uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I was wondering, um, what do you what do you think stress is in the brain? <laughs> that is a science question. It is also maybe a um a uh, what a speculative question. Right. So a science answer to that I am not prepared to give because I would have to look at the different ways in which stress is defined in neuroscience. And you, you know, this is very interesting because very seldom do I get asked a question that is a new question for me. Um, I almost always get asked a question that I've been asked a hundred times. So I have very facile answers, as you saw, right? Mm -hmm. All you have to do is, like, press the button, and I'm off. I'm a, I don't know if you could see, but it says magic robot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So you just turn him on, and he'll give you these answers. And he's a robot, and he's magic because he's studied for decades and decades. He's a nice guy. Um, that's my magic robot. But this is a new question 
that I don't have a robot for. Mm-hmm. It's and I will therefore have to investigate it um, because mindfulness-based stress reduction (MBSR) is is the other main school of modern mindfulness besides my system. MBSR and my system, Unified Mindfulness, are both modern mindfulness. We're both developed interacting with science. And because John has used stress in the name of his program, I would have to see how science has decided to define stress. And so I would not give an answer to what is stress in the brain uh, without doing some more research, actually. But now you've inspired me to do that research. But I think I can answer you in a speculative way. Please. Uh, By that I mean I can look at my own experience, look at things that I would say are stress, and then um, sort of give you a subjective view of what might be going on there. So let me see what I would come up with. Um, It seems to me that one component of stress, whenever we would say someone is under stress, we would say that they are having an unpleasant experience of their mind and their body. So one thing we can say about stress, I think, is that it's a a specific instance of an unpleasant mind-body state. So that's stress as a sensory experience. Then there, whenever we think about stress, I think we not only are aware that it can be a sensory experience, but we may be thinking about what causes the stress. And I think those are called stressors. Um, So there might be external circumstances that trigger this unpleasant sensory event of stress. Um, So obviously one way to reduce stress is to change the external stressors. So you reduce those. And therefore you'll reduce that uncomfortable experience of being stressed. But I would say that another way to reduce stress is through having equanimity with that uncomfortable sensory experience. Because I think that the perceived suffering that you get from that uncomfortable sensory mind-body state is not a function only of the external stressors. It's also a function of how much you fight with the sensory event of stress. Mm -hmm. So by training yourself to 
fight, not fight with the mental image, mental talk, emotional body sensation, and physical body sensation. Those are the four components, sensory components that potentially are present when you're having the experience of stress. So an external circumstance can cause stress. However, if you have the equanimity skill and you don't fight with the mental image, mental talk, physical body sensations and emotional body sensations of the stress, then that stress experience will cause you less and less suffering. And equanimity is to the, uh, the consciousness engine as oil is to the engine in your automobile. So when you lubricate the automobile, um, it has two effects. It reduces unnecessary heat um, and it frees up energy that is wasted in friction, that, that is dissipated. It saves on your use of fuel because you're using the fuel more efficiently. So I would say analogously, when you bring the skill of equanimity to the mind-body state of stress, then that stress causes less suffering. And also does not waste life energy. Because remember, equanimity is the reciprocal or inverse of self interference or the piston grinding against the cylinder friction in the consciousness engine. So when you bring equanimity to the actual mind-body state of being stressed, as opposed to, which is a sensory experience, which is in contrast to the objective circumstances that create the stress, which could be circumstances in the world or your health circumstances. Your body can be stressed because of lifestyle decisions you've made and so forth. So what happens then is, since the equanimity is like lubricating the engine, it has the same two effects as oil in an automobile. The first effect is less wasted energy um, dissipated, so more efficient use of, of life fuel. And the second effect is reduction of heating of the engine. Now, what happens if the engine heats, it, it doesn't function well. And if it heats too much, it actually gets damaged. Well, it turns out that when you have a mind-body experience of stress, and you don't have equanimity, there's a lot of suffering there. And that's analogous to heat. 
And that suffering means that you will respond less effectively. Your decisions and actions will be suboptimal because you're, they're distorted um, by this heat. And if the heat is bad enough, if a person suffers enough from stress, it will actually warp the engine. They will actually become permanently damaged as a human being, less able to function in the world. Um, people can be damaged forever by stress. Well, not forever. It can be repaired with mindfulness. Everything can be repaired eventually. But I would say that it's important to dis distinguish external reality or ground truth that may be causing the stress from the sensory event of mental image, mental talk, physical sensation, and emotional sensation. That combination creates the mind-body experience or body-mind experience of being stressed. If you bring equanimity to that experience, it will reduce the suffering and free up energy. The reduction of suffering is good for you and the freeing up of energy is also good for you. The reduction of suffering and the freeing of up, up of energy is also good for others because reduction of suffering means less distortion in your thoughts and actions. So more skillful action in the world. And the freeing up of energy, energy that's been bound up in friction that now is free for action because you've reduced inner friction through the mindfulness component called equanimity. That energy is now available to take action, appropriate action in the world. So action is a vector. There's a direction. My action is in this direction. And there's a magnitude. How much force am I exerting in a given direction is an action. We want to make sure that the action is the right direction and has enough force behind it. So equanimity with the stress makes it likely that your response to the source of the stress will be both more skillfully directed and more powerful. More skillfully directed because there's not the distorting heat of suffering. There, it's just a sensory event. You're not as enmeshed in it as most people would be. And then energy is now freed up. So both the direction and the, the clout, the force of your action to deal with the stress is likely to be improved by the equanimity skill. So uh, now what does equin so now I've given you a speculative answer what is stress and also a mechanism based on mindfulness for dealing with stress. Um, your question though was a science question. Um, what is stress in the brain? So 
if we follow the formulation, the speculative formulation that I just gave you, um, then stress in the brain is essentially um, lack of equanimity. So then non-stress asks the question, what in the brain is equanimity? And the answer is no one knows. <laughs> but we're trying to find out in my lab, the mm -hmm. SEMA lab at the University of Arizona, that is one of the markers we're looking for. We're, we're trying to find, are, is there something we can identify in the nervous system that shows when you're in a state of equanimity? Um, and if we can find that, we, I mean, really find that and prove it and then make clinical applications from that. We will be the first team that gets both the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine and the Nobel Prize for Peace for exactly the same achievement. <laughs> so that would be pretty big yes. in history. Uh, other labs are looking into this. If I were to make a guess based on what I know so far, Far, and once again, this is a guess, you can't hold me to it. Um, I would say that equanimity may have something to do with the ability of the different sensory circuits to interpenetrate without interfering. Mm -hmm. So, do any of you play the drums? Anyone in that room play the drums? No. Any no. drum players? I, I have a little so bit. I have... Say what? Uh, just a little bit. Okay. So, professional drum drummers that I know talk about something called four-limb independence. It, it means they can move their right hand, their left hand, their right foot, and their left foot without any interference between them. They can all do completely different things as though they're on autopilot. But they're able to interpenetrate to make perfect music, but there's no subtle interference between the different limbs. So you can try just two limbs in... on your left. Even that is very difficult. So. We know in the motor circuitry that certain individuals through a combination of genes and training are able to get motor circuits to function in a way that they rhythmically, beautifully interpenetrate, but there's no interference, there's no wasted energy from the right arm fighting with the left arm. So. It is possible, it is plausible that the inner and outer visual circuits, the outer visual circuits uh, subtend or uh, uh, create external sight, the inner visual circuits create visual thought, mental image. You have also outer and inner auditory circuits, physical sound, mental talk. 
metaphorically, you have the physicality of the body, but you also have the limbic system, which causes emotional type body sensations. That's the limbic brain. So you have metaphorically and sort of an inner and outer feel systems in the body. So if we just take those six systems, putting smell and taste under feel out maybe, it's possible that if we were to look at the four limbs in a professional musician operating, interpenetrating without interference, and then we would look at the see, hear, feel circuits of, say, uh, 50 or 60 or 70 year meditation master, we might find that there's an analogy there. And therefore, we found the neuronal signature of equanimity or inter, uh, interpenetrating without interfering. Um, you heard this idea here first, no human being has ever spoken these words in public. It's something that we can be, we'll be looking into here, but we're not the only lab that's trying to find out the, the neural signature of what we might call the solution to stress, which is equanimity. So once again, long answer to a short question. Oh. <laughs> that's Shake a wonderful it. answer. That's so good. So we probably have time for a couple more, right? It's a yeah, one-hour yeah. program, is that correct? To, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, can, I have more, but I want to open the floor. Yeah, let's ask the question. That we Enlightenment. About the, huh? Enlightenment. No, the quote. Uh, the the quote. The quote. The, the quote about enlightenment. Oh, uh, and then the question was... In modern science. About what? I, I think you can. Back in the days of enlightenment, in modern science. Oh, yeah. Why you cannot get enlightenment without knowing the science? Mm. Mm hmm. Or something like that, of course. What is it? So, we're, uh, we're thinking about your quote about um, how modern science might give us more tools than the Buddha had uh, to, to reach enlightenment. Yes. And, um, yeah, just wondering, um, and also in in your book you mention many things about uh, sort of applying a, a mathematical frame, uh, a physical frame to uh, to the mind and to the brain um, to understand, for example, uh, suffering as a form of turbulence was uh, was one idea that I I personally enjoyed. Um, yeah, it was that was just to give an example. You know, uh, an, an easy example. Not sure if it's true or not, but yeah. I see. Is that your intuition, that it is true? Turbulence. Um, so you know the joke about turbulence? The physicist joke? Uh, no. About turbulence? No. Okay. So, um, oh, who was this? Um, there's different versions of this. Um, uh, let's see. So in one version, the physicist dies and um, he goes to heaven and um, 
he meets God, and God says, I'll answer two physics questions for you. <laughs> you could choose two physics questions, and I'll tell you the answer. And so the joke is, the first physics question is, why quantum physics? Why, why at the fine level of space-time do we get this physics that looks so different from the meso level? Why does, why does the, the micro level look so different from the meso level? At the micro level, it is, you can walk through walls. <laughs> uh, but at the meso level, it's going to take you a long time to achieve that. <laughs> uh, why are these so different? That's the first question. And the second question is, what is turbulence? <laughs> and the joke, the joke is, the physicist says, I'm reasonably sure God can answer the first question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meaning, that's how mysterious turbulence is. Right. So, from a real science point of view, if I could tell you what turbulence was, if equanimity was non-turbulence, then I would get actually a clay prize because I'd be able to um, probably, if I could, if you could answer turbulence, I think you could probably answer the um, uh, the um, Navier Stokes. Uh, existence and smoothness question, which is a million-dollar mathematical question. Not entirely sure of that, but let's just say, <clears throat> if I knew what turbulence was, I would also be getting a Nobel Prize and other prizes. So, don't really know what it is. Uh, know a little bit about it. It makes a nice metaphor. It's possible that it's even what's going on. Um, that we're actually creating more laminar flow in the energy and information in the nervous system. Um, but if I had to make a guess, um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? Uh, yeah, just um, uh, whether your intuition was that turbulence would be a good frame for, for understanding this. Yeah, well... It's a good example, but science is science. So the um, it's a good metaphor, rather. But science is not science is not metaphors. Uh, I can come up with endless metaphors where science seems to be similar to what happens in mindfulness practice. There's no end to them. But the glory in science is not to the first person that states that says something that's new and important, it, the glory or the credit goes to the first person that proves it. So the first person that can prove what equanimity is in at a neurophysiological level will have a, a major achievement. Uh, if equanimity is laminar flow, literally, then that means that the underlying math of the nervous system 
follows the first principles of conservation of uh, energy uh, and so forth that are behind the, the continuity equations. Those are the continuity equations that are behind the Navier-Stokes equations. So it would only be, presumably it would only be turbulence if in fact the flow of energy and information in the nervous system is a, um, is a cons- uh, represents a conservative uh, field. And I don't think it is. I think it's a dissipative field. So that's a different math. Um, the underlying math of the nervous system, uh, oh, you got to stop me with this because, uh, this is where I lose everyone. Josian <laughs> won't let me go any further, but let me just say that, um, at least one important part of it is how these, the axons, um, convey energy, how the energy goes down the um the fibers now there's much much more to the physiology of the nervous system than just how uh, uh, signals go through fibers uh, electrically it's entirely possible that there are other modes of communication in the nervous system that could be optic could be pressure waves Certainly there's the transmitter substances that are completely chemical, but uh, we can say this, the reaction of the signal, the electrical signal going down a fiber is certainly an important part of how the nervous system functions. Once you get into, really get into neuroscience, you realize the picture is much more complicated than that. But if we just look at that one thing, which certainly is significant, the underlying math of that is not the same as fluid uh, flow modeled by Navier-Stokes. The underlying math of that is um, um, dispersion in an active medium. That, That electrical signal travels down the axon by the same physical principles whereby a flame travels down a fuse it is propagation of flame which is interesting because that's what the Buddha said connects life to life it's like one candle going out another candle anyway it is sort of interesting that's a different math and that would require a different model of equanimity if you wanted to know my intuition um it would, well, see, you, these are complicated questions, and I'm afraid I'm going to just lose your viewers because it's what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> you, you asked me a highly technical question. I will give you, for the record, the highly technical answer. At least it's here, and some of this is never been i've never discussed in a public forum so you're drawing out of me the cutting edge of my science hat um but i suspect that for a wave of association to propagate subliminally below consciousness um as that wave is propagating 
it also has to get out of the way of the next wave that's coming up. If it doesn't die away quickly, then there's going to be a traffic jam. There's going to be cross traffic for the next wave that's trying to get through. So, unless, unless sorry, unless they can interface, interpenetrate without interference. That that's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, now I don't know that there is an actual way that the waves can cross without interfering. But there's an effective way whereby if this is the first wave going this way, this wave dies out exactly perfectly just as this wave needs to go through. So that the timing is absolutely perfect. This does this and just when this would reach it, it dies away, and this has a clear, has a clear path. So it may have something to do with the, with unnecessary holding, so that this is still going while this is trying to cross, and that un, so training away the unnecessary holding, so that the nervous system timing works more efficiently um that would explain the increase in, in sensory clarity because you have more information passing through it's not there's not a log jam um and that would also be related to the equanimity piece because they're effectively interpenetrating without interfering uh even though they don't actually cross each other the problem is, there's more to it. As something is spreading in the unconscious, on the surface, it's slowly coming to consciousness. So there's actually two dimensions. There's the dim dimension of spread in the unconscious. And as that is growing, as the subliminal association wave is spreading, it is simultaneously percolating up to surface awareness as a conscious experience. As it's percolating up to the surface as a conscious experience, the conscious mind turns back and starts to grab on to the, what's going on deep down there. So here I'm starting to be conscious, and this conscious is invested in pushing and pulling on the subconscious because mm -hmm. it thinks it has to control things. And that then causes interference, the unnecessary messing around that the conscious mind at its various levels does with the subconscious. I think that's what gets trained away. And when a person goes into equanimity, their surface conscious mind is learning when it's appropriate not to turn back and interfere with what the subconscious is doing. And I think that in our lab, we may 
what's happening. And we may be able to show that when we... In, do you still hear me? Yeah, yes. That when we, induce, when we uh, impart a burst of ultrasound to the right circuit at the right moment, that it, or perhaps just to the right circuit, it may not be time relate, uh, related, it may just be location related. If we disconnect a certain thing, what that does is it t- turns off the interference that the surface levels are, are exercising on the unconscious, leaving the unconscious um, with uh, functioning completely on its own without this inappropriate interference that causes inappropriate holding that causes a log jam in the subconscious. If that's the case, then we will have found a relatively simple and hopefully safe, we don't know for sure that ultrasound used in this way is safe, but hopefully safe, certainly relatively simple. We will have found a relatively simple and hopefully safe way to induce perhaps profound equanimity. Now, if we get very, very lucky, we'll do that. And then if we get even crazy lucky, it'll turn out that that is, uh, creates neuroplasticity that accelerates the acquisition of the other two skills, mm-hmm. clarity and concentration, because the training you did with the artificial equanimity was so profound. And once again, we'll get those two Nobel Prizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh. Thank you so much. It was an, uh, an amazing deep dive into, the, into understanding what is actually equanimity and what is going on in the brain. And as I understand, if we actually solve the questions that we discussed, you are going to get at least three Nobel Prizes and maybe some other prizes. So my question is... Well, I think two, <laughs> two Nobel Prizes. One, one for physiology or medicine because we discovered an, a new clinical mechanism. Um, and then one for peace because that mechanism turned out to be strong enough to change the course of human history for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that this is what you, the kinds of things you wanted me to talk about because uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, this is more on the theoretical side, although I think it will be very interesting to anyone that has those interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the practical side, I guess they can use some of the other resources mm-hmm. I have, or maybe we'll do this again if we didn't Uh, get enough off of your practical list yeah yeah and my my question is like i'm wondering what uh how we uh, as a young generation of people in russia and all over the world can support this kind of research and support you for example in, in what you are doing in uh, in terms of you know that yeah that is really simple mm-hmm. um first and foremost deepen your own practice mm-hmm Okay, this is not a, this is science and practice co-evolving. Mm-hmm. So 
by each person deepening their experience with practice that's helping this process um the second thing you could do is understand the spirit of science what the spirit of science is you don't have to be a professional math uh, a scientist in order to enjoy the spirit of science you as soon as you start to learn science in middle school or elementary school you are already coming in contact with what i call the spirit of science the spirit of science involves a certain way to think about things and a certain way to feel about things um and the way to think about things is involves mathematical maturity physical intuition uh critical thinking skills and the um ability to um, master the social culture of uh, the science world those are sort of the uh, intellectual skills that will allow you to understand the spirit of science and then there are emotional skills learning to enjoy the beauty of a theory or a theorem its symmetries its depth its power its elegance this is all the art of science um so there's the science of science and then there's the art of science and if you learn those you'll understand the spirit of science and anyone can do that it's free on the internet no one will prevent you from learning science and but the goal in science is not so much to learn this or that subject but to get an appreciation for what the spirit of science is the is a certain a certain way to feel about things that make science fun and interesting and the best professional scientists um are motivated by that that spirit i would say understand you know deep in your own practice appreciate the spirit of science and then you'll be in an optimal situation to participate in this movement you can participate by maybe being a participant in a research you're actually uh, a subject come to a lab and we you know put electrodes on you or something you can participate by um uh if you have financial resources you can donate them to people do, do you can donate money uh charitable donations to people that are doing uh good work in this field um you can if you understand both the spirit of science and you understand the spirit of contemplative practice or mindfulness then you can um be in an up to be a um a spokesperson for this movement the movement being the modern mindfulness movement so there's plenty that everyone can do right now to sort of catch the wave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So I... 
Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, we're good, huh? Yes, yeah. yes. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we keep in touch. Thank you so much. Yep. It's yeah. been a real well, honor. Um, yeah. I hope we, yeah, well, it was, like I said, this is my favorite of all favorite things to do. So I don't know, um, I think one of you is from North America, right? Maybe Canada, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I, I am from the Bay Area, yes. The Bay Area. Okay, but I sense a little something. Uh, have you lived expat for a long time? or? Uh, yeah, I have been traveling uh, for... For a while now. Uh, so um, you would know who Norman Rockwell was. Uh, yes. The, he was yes very eminent um, uh, painter of Americana. I guess we would say. If you look behind me, I don't know if you could see. Mm -hmm. These are four original Norman Rockwells. Oh. These are actually yeah, sketches. Mm -hmm. And wow. the main, the main figure, this guy, that's the father <laughs> of uh, my student, whose house I'm staying in. Oh, wow! And, and the little, the little kid is her brother. <laughs> so this is a little bit of real Americana here. This is like actually Norman Rockwell signed art. Uh -huh. That. Um, my guest here um, grew up with Rockwell being a friend of the family. So anyway, I just I like that as a background. Just it's very U.S. or oh. North American in a sense. So. That's fantastic. Nice. Just for the culture. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank, thank you for sharing Have your fun. energy with us, Finland. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. So cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> oh, yeah, I want to hug him. Too complicated, huh? You're right. Very much scientific. Yeah, but I think I it was like an orgasmic <laughs> session for, for Mike. Look how orgasmic. much he rose. Right. <laughs> he was like, I thought I really could keep up. And then I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when he started, uh, I I uh, a little bit was confused. So I need the uh, let's let's go to the uh, wrap up of the things. So right, right. yeah, I think it's. How do you feel about the session? Let's move a bit now. Can you? You can't. Okay, no. sit, sit. Uh, yeah. I almost yeah. called you uh, Zlavka. You want to come in? No, no, I'm alright here. Come on, <laughs> yeah, I I only lost uh, a little bit when uh, he started to to talk about this uh, this kind of uh, subconscious waves, yes, and uh, I understand the, I the so notion of. Do you got some comment? <laughs> and he was like, you know, I th I thought he's not following, but he's all like fully in. I feel that you're yes. very concentrated, and yes. you don't need to be like absorbed into what's what's yeah. going on. So I understand what what is going on there. Yeah, yeah. It's a simple principle. It's just. Um, I don't know really how to explain it. I'm not. He he's very fun. He's very fun, but it's it's simple. It's uh, just um, I don't know how, how to explain. This is why I'm not talking too much. But it's like you're the mindfulness. Mm. Uh, just uh, you let it flow. 
you let flow and you simply let go and you flow and then it all flows in all directions and you're aware of both or everything it's just that it's at his side as his words at his words it is interpenetrating but not inter interfering we can call it that way or any other way but but that's basically it mm -hmm. it's, so it's a the, the nice thing is that people talk and and um it's just living basically yeah? mm -hmm. but this is what people are this is what we are as a science culture or civilization but and that's what is the problem with us because we are too much in the brain mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and if if anyone went to the heart then probably everything would change and what does it mean like from scientific point of view because we're definitely not talking about the heart as the heart as the organ which is kind of uh, taking care of or you literally mean the heart when you talk about it heart. Have to be the heart it's, it's like like, like a no notion purpose. like yeah, a notion for so human purpose okay so h how we can like from scientific point of view explain this kind of uh, uh, different things mind and heart things so it's like conscious some subconscious or it's something else more complicated going on there there is something that you would know there is some they call it the heart institute mm. which you sure know yeah. yeah and they talk a lot about the heart mm -hmm. but um yeah it doesn't matter anyway so it's whatever you call it it's just a different level of existence yeah, I understand what, what you're talking about, that like we're, uh, with Mike, we have this very scientific approach. So when right. we kind of talk about uh, heart, it means that we don't talk about, we talk about different level of uh, um, what. Right. So I think that. So the, the brain is layered, that um, it started out, I mean, we're sort of built on old code, so to speak, that uh, we have what's sometimes called the lizard brain mm -hmm. and then the monkey brain is built on top of that mm -hmm. and then the human brain is built on top of that and I would say the the core of the brain handles sort of very deep emotions bodily sensory stuff and um, <coughs> it's very very foundational <coughs> to how everything else works together and interlocks natural instincts yeah yeah and just basic biorhythms mm -hmm. basic instincts mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 basic instincts and basic biorhythms that kind of run us at a very deep level and so i think often when people talk about the heart mm -hmm. of, of things it's talking about this sort of the deepest level of the brain where these very sort of primal rhythms live Mm -hmm. So what uh, what we are kind of uh, losing in our uh, normal human society is uh, losing this connection. So we're kind of uh, uh, our wires and our neurons almost wire and fire in uh, in human level, and it's kind of uh, interfere with uh, the signals that are going on on the let's say this heart level, which is limbic and. Uh, um, what is before limbic system? Um, I guess like you could say lizard and monkey brain. Yeah. So this is lizard and monkey brain. Kind of the signal becoming less, and we're it's not getting up because we are kind of too much into the into That's the suppressing now. Suppressing, you yeah. See, you see, I shouldn't be talking because then I get it. 
Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's exactly this. We are trying to structure things. Mm -hmm. And it's not about structure. Mm -hmm. And if I would have to structure, then this what you were saying, from my point of view, point of view, impression, is, is, is actually not so much about this, uh, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. This is why we are evolving. And it is about growing back into it, or even not back into it. It is just growing into it through the superior gift that we were given, and this is the intellect, the brain, growing into a new level of existence, which is, um, which is abandoning it in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that is, that is e- evolution, basically. I think that that evolution is in terms of not uh, being evolved into the human. I think that the next level of evolution is actually being able to uh, kind of uh, serve from level to level and being uh, mastering all the levels. Mm -hmm. So not losing the connection with any of the levels because they are all useful for, for us. And aligning and building because if we talk about the stress, stress is actually uh, uh, appearing when there is a uh, distraction and where is a dissonance between between the level the levels. So and if we have kind of aligned and harmony, stress. I think what I think you can answer the question about the stress. What is the stress in the brain? You can easily answer that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm shy. <laughs> I wanted to get Shenzhen's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so happy that we asked. Uh, I think that I'm I'm very excited about this session because I think that Shenzhen enjoyed it as well. So it's not that we kind of um, only use him for our purpose, but he also enjoyed it. And we ask him something that that he get inspired to 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 study as well. So. And it's not that easy because sometimes when he was coming to the A uh, Ask Me Anything AMA session, so he has the sessions, he was like, okay, he was just, you know, like a robot as answering the questions. But as soon as you switch this Shenzhen part, then you can see the real Shenzhen. And the real Shenzhen is like unstoppable. He can talk about one thing for one hour and it's amazing. So I'm super happy we managed. How do you feel? I feel so excited. Oh my God. But can I say also how I see that brain stuff that you just discussed? Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm a, a fan of this idea that whatever happens in the brain, it's it's happening really on its on its own, right? It's a physical organ which is just moving the neurons, moving the chemicals, and uh, creating the illusion that it's me, right? But it's just on its own, the substance in the head. But what he and, and what you were talking about, about next step of evolution, what he was talking about, like uh, learning how to control this stuff, right? And uh, create the equanimity and so on, right? It's literally like taking power for the first time ever over this mm-hmm. organ maybe which is like otherwise for thousands and thousands of years is just 
leaving on its own. Right. <laughs> but that's what actually Buddha was teaching us to do. So that's kind of taking the power of stepping back and observing it as something as uh, you build kind of an external observer of what's going on. So and uh, that's and that's the question is like is it only the organ which is inside of us or it's also something outside that is bigger than us? And this is the question that I don't think we can we can so easily answer. Is it what is like? Then we come to the to the question: What is consciousness? Because uh, this is something mm -hmm. that that gets on the way to to answer this question. And that's the biggest question in the world, I think, which <laughs> this guy is trying to solve. Well, you know, when you were talking about uh, getting it on your own through mindfulness and meditation practice, mm -hmm. right? it's still only you interfering with your own organ. So it's like, for me, it's almost like, maybe you are again tricking yourself because it's the same thing. But if you're creating the machine, which does it externally, mm -hmm. that's for sure you're taking a control of the <laughs> organ, mm -hmm. right? Like because you're in interfering in something that you have not tapped into in thousands of years. So mm -hmm. I'm one, yeah. one frame on this is that um, it's not about taking control and interfering it's about preventing the conscious mind from taking control and interfering that in shinzen's frame uh there's this sort of wave propagation that's happening through the subconscious and that can get uh, log jammed as he said uh or the waves can interfere or if things are working well then one wave stops and another wave starts and there isn't this turbulence but then um uh, the conscious mind, um, at least sort of the modern conscious mind trained as it is for modern life, uh, is very analytical and says, hmm, what's, what's going on there? And reaches its hand down and tries to grab things and muddies the water, creates the turbulence. And um, that's the, the thing that I wouldn't necessarily say it's new, but it's made worse by mo modern life. And... Uh, basically instead of the frame of trying to take control of the brain uh and interfere with it it's just about making the conscious mind not do that to the subconscious mind and making them sort of mm -hmm. flow together by external sure, mm -hmm. sure. influence well, it, it i mean his his frame was hopefully this also uh, drives uh, neuroplasticity, which lets you get better at this as time goes on, and then you don't need the external thing eventually. Mm -hmm. How I see it, it's kind of uh, you're training your mind to evolve into the new level because it's function on the new level, and then you're building extra something, I don't know what, which is, uh, which is becoming more conscious and more uh, aware of what's going on on the lower level of everything so that's uh, and uh, it's it's like it's still under question if you're tricking yourself or not and at the same time what kind of benefits you get from that are you becoming a better person uh, for the society while doing that or you're becoming like worse so and then it's the question because if you get into the <coughs> Uh, research of the people who are long-term meditators they don't say that they don't kind of um, 
describe it as something that they build so they can they say that there is just a process going on and they observe themselves as a, a bundle of the processes so there is even like the sense if you talk with Shenzhen Longi he will say that the sense of self disappeared so there is just you know lines of the processes so yeah you never know where you get with that and that's that's the point that if you for example can can make it faster the progress faster then that's kind of a new evolution of the human being when when we can reach this level yeah yeah as as you say i mean there's this frame of this is something that you build uh and there's this uh this criticism of that frame called spiritual materialism mm-hmm. that you're you're building something and then you'll mm-hmm. be protective of it and uh yes, it's just yes. another trap that mm-hmm. um right. what's yeah. nice they saying that's yep. true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the question is how not to fall into this trap what do you well how do you kind of keep building without uh, how you keep evolving without mm, making yourself into this trap if that was the only trap it would be good <laughs> I mean, just working on I mean, what philosophers would call your epistemology, just trying to see things as they are, mm-hmm. that that's something that isn't really in the building frame, it's just seen clearly frame, and that seems to be the engine of everything else too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or part of it, not all of it. Good. <laughs> so yeah, just to finish uh, a session, a couple of follow-up, what we can uh, do here. Where is that presentation? Oh, uh, 